Hello, I'm Katie Sewell, and this is A Bittersweet Moment with Tiffany Parks. Hello, and welcome to The Bittersweet Life. I'm Tiffany Parks, and this is your midweek bittersweet moment. Today is our final installment in the Italian wedding-themed mini-episode series. If you haven't heard any of the other episodes in this series, go back and listen to the episodes, to the mini-episodes immediately preceding this one. We talk about Italian wedding traditions as opposed to American wedding traditions, and my personal experience is trying to combine the two to have a Italian-slash-American wedding. I also talk about Italian traditions for weddings back about 100 years ago, 50 to 100 years ago, and the classic things that Italians at least used to do in their weddings. And today we're going to talk about ancient Roman weddings. What happened, what went on in an ancient Roman wedding? As you can imagine, ancient Roman weddings had a lot of ritual and a lot of rules to them. First off, on the morning of the wedding, the bride had to be dressed by her mother. The most important part of her wedding dress was a belt that was tied around her waist with what they called the knot of Hercules. Hercules was considered the guardian of wedded life, and only the groom was allowed to untie this knot. I'm not sure if this is where the expression to tie the knot comes from, but it's, it's possible. The bride's hair was then divided into six parts or six locks by the point of a spear or by a comb in the shape of a spear. This was a practice that survived from a custom that was even older than the ancient Romans. To them, it was already an ancient custom, and that is the custom of marriage by capture. Lovely, right? (laughs) So that was sort of, I guess, a nod to that even earlier tradition. So the six locks of the bride's head were then coiled and held into position on her head by ribbons. In addition to that, the bride would then wear a wreath of flowers and sacred plants on her head, which she had gathered herself, and on top of that a flame-colored veil. I love to imagine a bride wearing a flame-colored veil. She also would wear red or yellow shoes. The broom would wear a toga and also a wreath of flowers on his head. The marriage ceremony generally took place at the bride's father's home with guests present. There had to be at least 10 witnesses to make the ceremony legal, and the bride and groom would stand before a priest, obviously a pagan priest, holding hands. And holding hands was actually very significant in ancient Rome. And in fact, the way that a bride would agree to the wedding publicly so that it could be known was that she would appear in public holding the hand of her future husband. I don't know how much ancient Roman women were able to you know, choose their spouses. I don't know if they really had the autonomy to say, okay, I will marry this guy, or if it was completely out of their control. But at least ostensibly, they did give the bride this sort of way of publicly consenting. The next part of the ceremony, as in our modern weddings, is of course the wedding vow, or what they called at the time the consent to marriage. So there was a chant that the bride and groom would say. Um, There were always the same words at all weddings, so something similar to our I do, something very traditional that was heard in every wedding. And that was this. The bride would say, Quando tu Gaius ego Gaia, which means when and where you are Gaius, then and there I am Gaia. The groom would say the same thing 
to the bride, except he would say, quando tu Gaia, ego Gaius. So Gaia and Gaius are the feminine and the masculine versions of the same name. So basically saying, I am the same. Wherever you are, I will be the same. The name Gaius and Gaia, those names were chosen particularly because they had a lucky meaning. The, the name Gaius or Gaia meant joyful or cheerful, vivacious. It was also a very common name. If you, you know, know your Roman history, it was the first name of many, many Roman statesmen, including, of course, Julius Caesar. His full name was Gaius Julius Caesar. Now, after the words of consent, the bride and groom would sit on stools facing the altar. So again, we're seeing some similarities here to our modern weddings. They would then make an offering to the god Jupiter, which usually consisted of cake. Jupiter was generally considered to be the most important in all the pantheon of Roman gods. He's the equivalent of the Greek god Zeus. Once the priest then made that offering, the cake would be eaten by the bride and groom. And then, of course, congratulations by the guest. Does this sort of feel like the Eucharist, the taking of communion? I don't know. Maybe I'm just trying to find similarities between the two, the ancient and the modern weddings. Then the guests would throw, again, here's another one. The guests would throw nuts as opposed to our modern tradition of rice. Okay, but that's actually not so strange when you consider that the Italian traditional candy associated with Italian weddings, which I talked about on the previous two episodes, are confetti, which are sugared almonds. It's actually, again, a bit of a similarity. After the ceremony was over, there would be a wedding dinner. Again, this generally would happen at the house of the bride's father. If that family was wealthy, it would be an extremely extravagant meal. Again, (laughs) similar to today. Um, And after this, the bride would be formally escorted to her husband's house in a solemn wedding procession. So there would be a marriage hymn that would be sung. The groom would take his bride with a show of force from her mother's arm, again, alluding to the tradition of marriage by capture. And as they walked, the bride would be attended by three boys. And strangely, the one particularity about these three boys is their parents had to be living. Each boy, both of his parents had to be living. Two of the boys would hold the bride's hands and the third would carry the wedding torch. Behind them would walk the Camillus, which is the name for an ancient Roman altar boy, and he would carry a distaff and a spindle, which are emblems of domestic life. During the march, the crowd would shout cries of congratulations to the couple. Also, the bride had three coins with her. One of them would be dropped as an offering to the god of the crossroads. Another she would give to the groom as an emblem of her dowry that she brought with her. And then the third would be offered to the household gods of the new home. The groom would then scatter nuts, sweetmeats, and sesame cakes through the crowd. A quick aside to help you shop for summer clothes of the best quality, you must check out Fairty. They're a family-run clothing company that prioritizes sustainable fibers and non-toxic dyes. And they even ship their clothes in an environmentally friendly way. I own three of their shirts. And I absolutely love them. In fact, Tiffany, I'm wearing one right now. They are so soft and comfortable, and they are the perfect blend of casual and classic. You know when you're searching for that ideal summer outfit, that shirt, that dress that feels like you've had them for years? Maybe a gorgeous print that fits so perfectly and feels almost too good to be vintage, but still looks like it might be? 
Well, that's Fairty. And they're so confident in the quality of their stuff, they have a lifetime guarantee of quality. They'll replace or fix your clothes forever, no matter what. And to top it all off, Fairty is giving Bittersweet Life listeners 20% off. 20%. So shop now for new summer clothes. Head to fairdebrand.com and enter the promo code bittersweet at checkout for 20% off your order. Now, back to the show. So when the bride arrived at the groom's house, the bride would wind the doorposts with bands of wool. This was a symbol of her future work as the mistress of the household. And she would anoint the door with oil and fat, emblems of plenty. She was then lifted carefully over the threshold in order to avoid the bad omen of a slip of her foot entering the new home for the first time. So this is another tradition that, of course, has been carried over. I don't know how common it is in Italian weddings, I don't remember hearing anything about it or seeing anything about it when I was planning my wedding. But of course, I know that in the Anglo-Saxon tradition, the groom always carries the bride over the threshold, if not on their actual honeymoon, at least coming into their home for the first time. And that is the reason why, so that she wouldn't trip, which is a terrible omen, to be entering her new home, what would in ancient times have been, you know, clearly her new home. She would not have lived there before that night. The doors were closed to the general public, but the guests would be invited in. So anyone who was sort of on the street watching the procession was not invited in, but any, any guests who were part of their wedding banquet would come in to the groom's house. In wealthy Roman domices, in the houses of wealthy people, there was an atrium in the entrance of the house. If you've ever been to Pompeii, you've seen these. It's sort of like a long rectangular entryway. And there's generally a skylight. In that spot, the husband offered his wife fire, so like a torch, and he would give her water. And these were in token of the life that they were to live together. The bride would then take the marriage torch and she would light a fire in the hearth, in the central hearth of the home. And then the torch would be blown out and it would be thrown to the guests and they would try to catch it. So again, another tradition that is sort of mirrored by the throwing of the bridal bouquet. The last thing that would happen on this night would be that there would be a, a prayer recited by the bride, and then they would basically have sort of a ceremonial leading of the bride to the wedding, quote-unquote, couch. And I assume that the guests would then politely leave, but I don't know. <laughs> I never discovered that. The parties would continue. There would not just be the wedding ceremony banquet, but there would be more banquets and more festivities on the following nights. I don't know about you, but I find these ancient Roman traditions to be so fascinating. And I love knowing that some of these ancient traditions have been carried on in some way or another into our modern wedding traditions. I hope you've enjoyed this mini series on Italian weddings. Thanks so much for listening. Join us again. Bye. Bye.